The prophet Isaiah served the Lord in what was a very difficult day. It was a day when the people had no interest in the things of God. They had no interest in the word of God. And they had no interest in any matters which were related to the true religion. And that is evident very early on in the chapter. If you look at Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 4. It says there, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. So this is a sinful people. This is a people who have turned their backs on God and in turning their backs of God, uh, from God, they had to face the consequences of their sin. And we read of some of the consequences in the early parts of Isaiah 1. It talks about there being violence in the land. It talks of the people being spiritually sick. And their sins are even made comparable to the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is how serious things were. This is how far they got from God. And the Lord also reveals to them that because of their forsaking Him, because of their sin and their spiritual sickness, that their acts of religion towards Him were totally unacceptable. We read in Isaiah 1 and 15, And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Israel was a nation which was engrossed in sin. It was a nation which was far from God and they were suffering as a result. And I think we can really see many comparisons between Israel in Isaiah's day and even our own land and nation. A nation which is far from God. A nation which has turned its back on God. A nation whose sins are comparable to the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we are suffering as a result. There is a spiritual dearth even in our own land because of these things. And the people can't even see it. Yet despite the Lord's condemnation of the people in the early parts of Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord visits them in such a merciful and in such a gracious way because He extends to them His arm of mercy. He extends his arm of grace to a people who were in a state of sin and a state of misery. And he offers them salvation from their sin. Look at Isaiah 1 and 18. It says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now I want to take Isaiah 1 and 18 as my text for this evening and I think there are some blessed truths contained in this verse for each and every one of us tonight, whether we are saved or whether we are not saved. And it's with these thoughts in mind and Isaiah 1 and 18 in mind that I want you to consider this topic with me tonight of encouragement for a sinful people. Encouragement for a sinful people. I want you to see firstly with me the intensity of this encouragement because what does it say at the beginning of verse 18? It says there, the Lord says to the Israelites through Isaiah, Come now. Now that word come is written in a way which indicates that it is not merely just an invitation. It is stronger than an invitation. It actually goes into the realm of being a command. 
And it conveys the idea of moving towards someone or moving towards something. And the word, it comes from a root word which means to go or to walk. And so when God encourages these sinful people to come, He is encouraging them to proactively move in His direction and to proactively come to Him. Now in light of what I have said in the introduction to this message, this command from God that they come to Him is a profound command indeed. Because we have already alluded to the sinfulness of this ungodly nation and this people, yet... Despite their sin, God is commanding them to come to Him. He is open to their coming unto Him. He is opening the door for them to move towards Him, even though they have offended Him by their sin. And in this seemingly trivial word, this one single word, which we could easily pass by if we read through Isaiah chapter 1. In this one word, we have a marvelous revelation of the mercy of God towards sinners. God is merciful towards sinful people. Because friends, after he revealed to this people the ugliness of their sin, he could have destroyed them and he could have condemned them to eternal ruin. And they couldn't have had one complaint. Yet God had mercy. There is compassion from God towards sinners who dwell in a state of sin outside of Christ. And that is a marvelous truth. And that is a truth which really is the only hope for Israel in Isaiah 1. But it is a truth which is the only hope for our land and nation. Yet people can't see it. People can't see the mercy of God. They are blinded to the mercy of God. And God's mercy towards sinners is displayed throughout Scripture in light of the fact that many times in Scripture, God stretches out His arm of mercy and grace towards sinners. John 7.37, it reads there in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. We also read in Revelation 22 and 17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. And that word come in these verses is also written in a way which denotes that it is a command. And therefore, here is a message from the Bible that those who are living in a state of spiritual deficiency, those who are not saved, those who are dwelling in their sin, are commanded by God to come. God stretches out His arm of mercy. And he does it here tonight in Korean. Unsaved friend, he stretches out his arm of mercy to you. You must know tonight that there is mercy with the Lord. And not only is it a truth revealed in Scripture, but it is a truth which has been experienced by many in this service. It is a written truth, and it is an experiential truth. If you were to ask a saved person in this service tonight, is God merciful? And they say yes, and you say why? They will say, because I'm a vile sinner and he saved me. He commands you to come. 
And he commands you to turn away from your sin and to run to Christ and to be saved. You must come to him. You must proactively come in faith and repentance and be saved. Now I think it's an astounding and sometimes an overwhelming thought. Not as overwhelming as it often should be. But it is an overwhelming thought nonetheless to think of God's willingness to receive sinners unto himself in a glorious act of mercy. It ought to bless our souls tonight to think that God would receive us into fellowship with himself. This is one of the purposes for which we were created. We were created to enjoy fellowship with God. Genesis 1 and 26 reads, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. God made us as spiritual beings in order that we might enjoy fellowship with him. Yet this has been totally marred by the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. It has been ruined by sin. And friends, the reality is nonetheless that we are still spiritual beings. We still have souls. We still have souls which have a tendency to worship. But herein is the problem. We don't worship the true God of the Bible. In fact, we worship everything but the true God of the Bible. The problem is that we are totally contrary to God. And by nature, we don't desire fellowship with Him. We only desire the fellowship of the fruitful works of darkness. And that's man's problem. And that's the problem with this world. It's sin. Yet herein, friends, is the wonder. That despite all of this, God still welcomes sinners who turn away from their sin to enter into fellowship with him once again. Is this not thrilling news for sinful humanity? You who are not saved tonight, is this not thrilling news for you? Christian, does this not thrill your soul? Does it not thrill your soul to remember that despite your sin against God, sins that God saw even before you were created, does it not overwhelm your heart tonight to think that God saw your sin in all of its fullness even before you were born, yet he still determined that he would have mercy on your soul? He has brought you from darkness and he has brought you into union and fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. That is a blessed truth. Sometimes we hear that preached and we think about it in our own private time. And it doesn't stir our souls as much as it ought to stir our souls. Someone says, Christ died for you. And you hear it so many times that it just passes you by. We all get to that stage. We can all get dull and cold at heart. Friends, may we never lose the wonder of the gospel. Because once we lose the wonder of the gospel, we lose the desire to go and tell this glorious message to others. Do you know, people in life, they often complain, and they often complain that in their friendships and in their relationships, there is fickleness. There is a lack of loyalty. Maybe sometimes you've felt like this in your life. People turn their back on you because of one fault. They turn their back on you because of that one flaw. They maybe even turn their back on you because they learn about your past or the things that you have done. People often in life turn their backs on us when they need them the most. 
in our time of need. When the going gets tough and we need these people, they can turn their backs on us. And sadly, this is a lack of love that humans show to each other because of sin. And it does lead people to often say that if they just had one loyal friend in life who would stick with them through thick and thin, that would mean more to them than having ten fake or fickle friends. And the reality of this human condition further enhances our view of the love and the goodness of the Lord. Because he can see the very worst in us. He can see our deepest thoughts. He can see our deepest desires. He can see our vilest sin. Yet what does he say? He says, come. A.W. Tozer said, Jesus Christ knows the worst about you. Nevertheless, he is the one that loves you most. God knows the worst about each and every person in this meeting. Yet he still says, come. Believer, God knows the very worst about you. Yet he still loves you more than anyone. He is not fickle. And he doesn't turn his back when the going gets tough. Friends, when he saw the state of Israel, he could have turned his back on them and said, they are covenant breakers. Let them be accursed. But he loved them. And he says, come. Unsafe friend, why don't you yield to this command to come? There is urgency in the command because God says to them, come now. You are not to delay God commands this people to come immediately. Immediately because God knows what awaits them in their sin and in their rebellion if they remain unrepentant. God was offering them mercy and he was offering them grace. But the reality is that one day mercy and grace would be withdrawn and they would give way to his justice and his wrath. God was aware of their condition and their future more than they were. You must come now while you have the opportunity. Because one day the day of opportunity will end. And that is a guarantee. And then comes the wrath and the justice of God. And eternal ruin in hell. 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 says. Behold now is the accepted time. Behold now is the day of salvation. This is the intensity of this encouragement. But I want you to see secondly with me. The intimacy of this encouragement. Because after the command to come. The Lord says to the prophet. And let us reason together. Saith the Lord. Now that phrase let us reason together. Is a very interesting phrase. Because it means to come to a conclusion. Or to decide by joint reasoning. And it's almost as if God is saying to this people. Look come and let us talk the matter over. Now this isn't a case of God coming to the negotiation table, so to speak, to see if they could find a happy medium or come to some sort of agreement about what to do with this sin problem. It wasn't the case that God was going to meet them halfway and say, well, I'll let you away with half of the sin, but I'm going to deal with the other half. No, rather God was bringing this people round to his way of thinking. We've already considered the fact that Israel had broken their covenant with God. Now covenant breaking is essentially sin. It amounts to sin against God. And so asking and asking this sinful people to come and to reason with him. God is asking them to consider their sin and to consider their covenant breaking in light of his law. 
God is not reasoning with them in order that they might come and make excuses for their sin. He is not reasoning with them in order that they might permit God by their excuses to overlook their sin. Because God will never overlook sin. God will always deal with sin in some way, some shape, or some form. Because His justice and His holiness demand that He must deal with sin. And namely that is in pouring out His wrath upon it eventually. And in asking this sinful people to reason together with Him concerning their sin, God is giving them a dose of reality, if you want to put it that way. He is telling them this. He is saying, that's the way it is. And this is the way it's going to be. You have broken my law. You have broken my covenant. Your sins have brought violence upon you. And you have alienated yourself from me. And eventually, your sins will lead to your condemnation. Now, reasoning is to do with the mind. And it is to do with making sense of something in your mind or coming to a rational conclusion about a certain situation. And so God has related to them the truth about their condition before him. And he wants to bring them away from their sinful mindset. He wants to bring them away from their mindset and to bring them into total conformity to him and to what he has revealed to them. Namely, that they are, their, that they are sinners who will eventually be judged. So what were they to do? They were very simply to evaluate this, this objective truth which has been revealed to them by God and they were to conclude with that objective truth what they were before Him. And it's exactly the same in our case. It's exactly the same in your case if you're outside of Christ. You must come round to God's way of thinking. You see, what have men tried to do in this day and age? Men have tried to almost bring God round to their way of thinking. They have tried to change who God is. They have tried to change the person of God. They have tried to change the person of Christ. They have tried to overlook God's justice and God's holiness and God's wrath. And they have tried to put emphasis on the love of God and say God is all loving. And they exclude these vital truths about God. And what do you get as a result? You get a God who is a figment of the, of the mere imagination of men. A God who is not the God of the Bible. A God who has no power to forgive sin. A God who has no power to give eternal life. And what happens when you worship the false God? You end up in hell. If we are to be right with God... We must never try to change him to suit our own desires and our own fancies. We must try to realize in our minds that what God has objectively revealed to us in the Bible is truth. And friends, if you are to get right with God tonight, you must realize that you are a sinner before a holy God. And that you have broken God's holy law. Now God has graciously revealed to this sinful people in Isaiah 1 and 8, uh, their sin. 
And God has done the same for us because he has given us objective truth in the Bible whereby we can know where we stand before him. He has revealed in the Bible that we are sinners and that we are not by nature in good standing with him. Psalm 51 and 5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. We also read in 1 John 1 and 8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And therefore, if you are ever to have peace with God, if you, if you are ever to enjoy God's salvation, if you ever want to see the kingdom of heaven, then you must come round to God's way of thinking. And you must see the reality of your sin, and you must see that your sin is leading you to a lost eternity. You must be willing to turn away from your sin and to forsake it. You must repent. You must repent. Because if you don't repent, it shows that you haven't come round to God's way of thinking. That you don't see that there is an issue with your sin. It's vital that you turn from your sin. You must repent and you must believe the gospel. This is the intimacy of this encouragement. But I want you to see finally with me the incredibility of this encouragement. Look at the second half of our text. It says there, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, the description of sin as both scarlet and crimson, it reveals a lot to us about the nature and the seriousness of sin. Crimson is a reference to a specific type of worm found in the Middle East. And the crimson worm is a common worm to the region of old Israel. In ancient days, the dead bodies of the female crimson worms were scraped from the tree, and they were dried, and they were ground into a powder that was used as a dye. And it would have dyed cloths a scarlet or a red color. Now that red dye from the crimson worm was, uh, the crimson worm, sorry, was said to be used in the tabernacle or even in the garments of the high priest. And the imagery that God uses here to describe sin is so significant because it conveys the reality of how deeply sin corrupts and mars mankind. When white garments were dyed with this crimson dye, they could never be made white again. Once they were dyed, there were no human means that could ever return them to their pure state. That was the reality. That was the physical reality. And this is what the Lord was telling the people in Isaiah 1 and the first 17 verses. He was telling them, no matter what you do, no matter what offerings you make, or what religious activities you engage in, it will not make a difference. Because you are so deeply stained by your sin that mere human effort will not be able to reverse the effects of sin in time and in eternity. It was impossible. And it's the same for you if you're not saved. Not only are you stained by sins of the deepest dye, but your mere human effort will never be able to stop the fact that sin is leading you to death and leading you to eternal destruction. You are totally unable to help yourself in this matter. And mere human effort will not make you clean from sin because sin has affected every faculty of your being. 
Yet the incredibility is found in what God says to them concerning what he could do regarding their sin. God says concerning their sins, they shall be as white as snow. They shall be as wool. And he uses this imagery to show the impossibility of the fact that they could do anything to cleanse their sin. And then what does he say? They shall be as white as snow. They shall be as wool. God is proposing that he can do that which is impossible in the eyes of man. God is telling a sinful people, you can't do one thing about your sin. You can't make atonement for your sin, but I have the power to do it. I have the power to do that which is impossible. I have the power to deal with sin. I can bring you from one end of the spectrum to the other and save you from the damning consequences of sin. That's what God was saying. Through his power, they can be as white as snow. They can be as wool. They can be purified. And it's the same in your case if you're still in your sin and misery. God has the power to cleanse away forever the stain of your sin. He can do that because He has sent His Son. He has sent Jesus Christ who was a sinless man and who went to the cross and who bore that wrath and punishment for sin that you deserve. Friends, Christ came to reverse the effects of sin on the souls of men and women and children, on creation. Christ came to reverse what Adam did and brought upon humanity and creation in the Garden of Eden. He came to reverse the effects of the fall. And one day that will fully be realized in the new heaven and the new earth when people are no longer marred by the taint of sin, when creation is no longer ruined because of sin. The merits and the effects of Christ's work will be fully seen, but they can be seen in time. They can be seen in time through the salvation of precious souls. And friends, it is on the basis of Christ's sacrifice that God can deal with your sin. And that God can forgive your sin. He is able to take your sins and put them away as far as the east is from the west. As we read in Psalm 103 and 12. He is able to wash you in the blood of Jesus Christ. Tonight he is able to declare you holy and clean. You are able to be justified in his sight. He can cleanse you from all sin. Your past sins, your present sins, your future sins can all be forgiven. And the devil may say to you, you can never be forgiven. What does 1 John 1 and 7 say? But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. He is able to deliver you from the power of condemnation that you were under. Romans 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He is able to make us perfectly, utterly, eternally clean through the blood of His beloved Son. And believer in Christ, how often would the devil taunt you about your past? Say, look what you did in your youth. Look what you did all those years ago. Do you remember that night what you did? He's able to taunt you about the sins of your present and say, are you really saved? 
How could a saved person do that? How could a saved person think that way? All we have to do tonight is say to the devil, Christ has paid the price for my sins on the cross. And you're right, I'm a sinner. But my sins are washed away. God has said that they will be clean. And these are incredible realities for us to ponder tonight. Why then, if you're not saved, if you're not yet cleansed, why then don't you come and partake of this cleansing? Why don't you come to Christ and be cleansed from your sin? Why don't you come and have peace with God in Christ? I implore you to come while you still have time and while you still have the opportunity. And believer in Christ, let us remember the truths of the gospel tonight. As we, as we begin a new week, as we prepare to go out to our places of employment, whatever it might be next week, we will be attacked by hell. We will be attacked by the devil. But remember what the Lord said, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Don't rest tonight upon your own thoughts and your own feelings. Very simply rest in Christ tonight and look to him. And I pray that you will know fullness of joy in Christ and in his forgiveness. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. May God be pleased to bless his word to all of our hearts tonight for his glory. Amen. Amen. We'll bow in a word of prayer. And we'll seek the Lord's face as we bring our service to a close. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do come to Thee in our Saviour's name once again. We thank Thee, O God, for the blessed message of the Gospel. Lord, that message that sinners can come to the Lord, that they can have their sins forgiven. Lord, sins of the deepest die, sins which have stained and marred humanity so deeply, He is able to forgive. He is able to cleanse. And we're thankful, Lord, that he is able to cleanse because Christ has paid the price. Because Christ has been to the cross. And he has paid the price for sin. Heavenly Father, we pray that thou would bless every person who is gathered tonight. Lead us all to Calvary. Lead us all, Lord, to that place, Lord, which causes the sinner to delight. And we pray, Lord, that many tonight will find rest and peace in the forgiveness that Christ offers. Lord, we look to Thee now. We look to Thee for the rest of this week. We pray for Thy blessing to abide upon us. And we pray, Lord, that Thou wilt bring us back to Your places of worship next, Lord's day, in health and in strength. And now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. <laughs>